other, feel free to clap if you'd like to. Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain from beneath my feet. Your love is a mystery, how you gently lift me. When I am surrounded, your love can reach me. Sing hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Your love makes me sing hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, your love makes me sing. Your love is surprising, I can feel it rising. All the joy that's growing deep inside of me. Every time I see you, all your goodness shines through. I can feel this God song rising up with me. Say hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Your love makes me sing hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Your love makes me sing. You 
sing with y'all and go ahead and take a seat. All right. One of the things that we do as a part of our worship uh, is that we'd like to go to God in prayer. Uh, and when we approach God in prayer, one of the first things that we should do is, is admit our sinfulness. Uh, so what we want to do is go into a time of confession. Uh, so as, as I read this passage aloud, I'd like for you uh, in your mind to just kind of go through your life and, and find your sins and confess them to God uh, as, as part of your offering, as part of your worship here this evening. Reading in Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandment. I have stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening and we do confess uh, that we have not worshipped you with all of our heart. But Lord, that sometimes as we go throughout this world that we are, are divided in our passions and we raise different things up in our life and make them idols. Uh, Father, we, we confess these to you and ask that you tear them down. And Father, we do pray that as we go into your word tonight, and that we meditate on it and we treasure it in our heart and we delight in it, uh, that you would uh, grant us and give us freedom that is ours through Christ Jesus, your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing the song together. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Just to echo the, uh, the longing of the hearts of the people of Israel and also our own hearts for the Christ to come and to rescue us from our brokenness. And we get the, uh, the chance to sing this knowing that he did come. Let's sing this out remembering the longing that should be in all of our hearts to know him and that he will rescue us. Let's sing together. And oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in only exile here, until the sun.
so hard to wrap our minds around that, especially our hearts. God, I pray that, um, Lord, you will just pull us into your presence this morning. God, help us to trust your word. God, to trust you. I pray that, uh, Lord, you will help us to hear your word now. God, I pray that you will make it an inseparable part of our lives. God, help us to love you more. God, I pray that you will um, just teach us now. And to your name I pray. Amen. Stay up, stay up, stay up. All right. Good, 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 good. Uh, last week we had a great time playing football together, which is a great way to get to know each other. Bumped into each other a few times. There's a lot of good athletes out here that surprised me in their old age. And uh, we, we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, today I'd like you to just shake hands. Maybe meet someone next to you and I'd like you to ask them how long they've been around here and if they found another place within Grace Bible Church, maybe an evening group or a Sunday school class to plug in as well. So why don't you introduce yourselves to someone close to you. Go. Very good. Yeah, no more, no more friendliness. Time's over for that. All right, you had your chance. Hey, if you see someone you still want to introduce yourself to, I give you permission even after the service to shake hands and meet people. All right, just this once, you can meet people after the service as well. Um, I have a great uh, blessing for myself, and I think also for you today. Stephen Watson, my assistant pastor, is filling in. Woo! Yeah. 
There we go. Don't cheer that much. That makes me feel jealous. No, just kidding. Yes, we're very excited to have <laughs> I'm just kidding. Stephen, if you will come on up. Stephen's going to share with us this morning from God's Word. And I just want to take a minute to say what a blessing he's been to me. He came on full-time June, right? June. Since June. So it's been wonderful. And so I just thank, thank you for your ministry and for your work. And thanks for sharing with us this morning. Thanks, Dave. Y'all do know how to make a guy feel good, so I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, if you have your Bibles, if you'd open up to Hebrews chapter 4, obviously Dave has been further than that. I'm not continuing on in his series, but what we're doing today is we're actually taking a a step back uh, to to look at a a passage that he's already covered as part of a a broader passage, Uh, but today we're going to focus in on it a little bit more. Um, So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 11. We're going to read through, through 13, but not yet, uh, because I do want to take a little bit of time and say thank you. Uh, the youth ministry has been collecting shoes over the past month for Shoes for Orphan Souls. Last year, we set a goal of like 75, and y'all impressed us, and y'all brought like over 100 pair of shoes. Uh, so this year, we're like, well, we'll just set the goal at 150. Uh, and we still have two weeks left to bring shoes and collect shoes. We have this Sunday, and we have next Sunday. Next Sunday is a cutoff day, uh, and we're already at over 150 pairs of shoes. Uh, so we want to say thank you for that. Uh, be in prayer. The youth on December 11th are going to deliver those shoes to a warehouse in Mesquite and spend four or five hours in the warehouse uh, sorting and boxing and taking all the paper and cutting off all the tags. Uh, and what's going to happen is th- these shoes are going to be shipped all around the world, uh, and they're going to be used to help share the gospel. Uh, they're going to kind of be a, a foot in to some of these countries uh, where we can go in and give shoes and also give them, give them the gospel. So thank you for that. If you brought a pair, uh, you, are, you are participating in world missions. You are playing a role in somebody's life that might make an eternal difference in uh, introducing to them our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's not just buying shoes on clearance at Walmart or you know, wherever you get them. It's not just participating, but, it, man, it's an eternal difference. And, and don't, don't miss that. Don't miss that. So I want to say thank you for that. I also would like to take the opportunity to introduce to you something that we're going to be starting up in January that I'm very excited about. Uh, in January, the new year, what we're going to do is we're going to start a church-wide Bible reading plan where we're going to be reading through the Bible as a church body together with the hopes of, you know, start January 1 and December 31st and we'll read the whole Bible. We did this a few years ago and it was a, it was a great blessing. Um, and this year we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, a few years ago we actually bought the chronological yearly Bible. Uh, and so if you're going to participate, you actually had to buy the Bible. And we're like, man, we don't want to have to be able to buy another Bible. We already have a Bible. Uh, so what we're doing is uh, this plan right here. It's called the Discipleship, Discipleship Journal Bible Reading Plan. Um, and we've chosen this for a, a few different reasons. One is because we, we can just give it to you. You don't have to purchase it. So if you want to participate in the coming weeks, you can just pick up one of these Bible reading plans. The other thing that I like about this Bible reading plan um, is that every day you are reading different parts of Scripture. So it's not like you're going to get bogged down in some of the genealogies and say, oh, I give up. Uh, I think many of us have probably started Bible reading plans and have never gotten past Leviticus because uh, it's like, oh, I'm too far behind. Um, that's the other thing that I really like about this plan is that it has built-in five days uh, flex plan. So if you're reading uh, and you're like, man, my Mondays are crazy, I'm not going to read Monday, uh, you can still finish the month's reading uh, with, with that built into it. Uh, so I, I know if you're like me, I'm doing the chronological Bible this year, and I get so discouraged because you know, I'm, I'm still you know, a few weeks behind trying to catch up. Uh, so this, this will help with that encouragement. We're also going to have a few uh, meetings uh, scheduled throughout the week. Um, I'll be leading one or two of those for the guys. We'll probably get together at breakfast time. Um, and we're just going to talk about what we've been reading uh, share some prayer requests, and so that's going to help encourage us through that. Um, you'll, we'll just have to talk a little bit and get those times. 
I'm, I'm all game for pre-PT. Uh, I like breakfast that much. Uh, so we can meet at 5, we can meet at 6, it doesn't matter. Uh, but we'll, we'll get that set up and get that information out to you. <clears throat> the other thing that I'm doing that we're excited about is we're also going to have a church-wide memory verse. Um, and we'll have the daily Bible readings printed in the bulletin, and we'll have our memory verse printed in the bulletin. And when we come together every week as a church congregation, we'll actually say that week's memory verse together as a congregation as a way to keep us accountable, keep us encouraged, and a way to worship with one another through the Word of God. The system that we're going to be using is the Navigator's Topical Memory Verse System. Uh, we're using this because many of you are already familiar with it. You might have used it some. Uh, and it's just a, it's just a great uh, system. It has some great verses to help you out in your Christian life, uh, to encourage you to live for God's glory. Uh, we're going to be selling those. I wanna, we're not selling them for profit. Uh, we don't even have them out yet. But in the next few weeks, you'll be able to buy those. We got it in time for Christmas presents or stocking stuffers. Um, and we're just selling them as a service to you. If, you're, if you don't want that, another option is uh, you can get it for an app on your iPhone. So if you're a, if you're a techie person and you have an iPhone or a Droid or whatever, uh, you can actually get an app for this, which is like less than half the cost, and it can help you in that. And if you don't want to spend any money whatsoever, just cut it out of the bulletin, and you're good to go. <clears throat> free. I'm all about free. Um, but we're doing this because we really believe that, that the Word of God is important. Um, and so what we're going to do with the rest of our time together is we're actually going to build a defense of why we are going into this Bible reading plan. We're going to build a defense of why we are going to memorize Scripture as a congregation. Because I want you on board. Some of you are like, man, I'm already on board. I don't need a defense. You don't have to convince me. Well, this is an explanation for you. Uh, whether, whether it's a defense or explanation, what we're going to be doing is going to the Word of God, see what the Word of God says about itself. We're going to look into it and say, why does the Bible have so much power? And then how do we approach Scripture? And guys, I, I, my prayer this week, as, as I've been studying, has been for you to find freedom. I know some of you have some sins in your life and you have been trying for years to kick that sin. You've been trying for years to rid your life of that sin and you can't seem to do it. And today we're going to talk about why that is. And we're going to talk about how God through the Bible can actually free us from that sin. Uh, so it could be a very life-transforming morning for you. Uh, so let's read God's Word together. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 11 and read through 13. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of to him whom we must give an account. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word that you've given to us to encourage us in this life that we can go to it and we can find comfort in it. Lord, whatever our feelings are, we can go to it and through your Spirit be encouraged in this life. Like David, Lord, who, who whenever he just felt the weight of this world crushing on him, said, why am I discouraged, O oh, my soul? Put my hope in God, my Savior and my King. Father, that is our prayer, that as we go into your Word today, you reveal to us how to look at it, how to use it, and how you use it in us, Lord, that we might find comfort and freedom. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Man, when we look at this passage in Hebrews, we find how the Bible describes itself. And it describes itself in a very powerful way. You can look at the words, and let's look at them together, beginning in verse 12. The Word of God is living. 
The Word of God is active. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's a pretty powerful way to describe the Bible. This is, this is not just some ordinary book we have. The authors of this book were not inspired the way that Julius Caesar, not Julius Caesar, well he did write, but uh, uh, Shakespeare was inspired. It's, it's something holy and uniquely different. It was given to us by God to be a tool in our lives to lead us to Him. That's what it is. And so what we want to work with today is, is this statement. The Word of God is powerful. And it is powerful because it shows us Christ and leads us to life-changing belief. When we look at the descriptors in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, how the Word of God is, is living, it's active, it's sharper than a sword, it pierces, it divides. The, my, the picture that I get in my mind is, uh, is of a uh, sophomore biology class in high school. Um, you know, the, the day that we all looked forward to in high school <clears throat> was the day that we got to dissect a frog, right? And, and you'd get the frog and you'd pin him spread eagle on your little board and, and you'd take your scalpel, a sharp knife, and you would pierce the skin and you would cut the frog open and you would peel back the layers and you would use your scalpel, oh, sorry I see some people cringing, I apologize. <laughs> Uh, and you peel back the layers, and you use it to investigate the different organs. You, and if you're a guy, I'm, maybe you did it as a girl too, when you're done, you dismember it, right? Uh, you're done with it, you're done, okay, you get to play. Uh, but that's kind of what the Bible describes the Word of God with. That the, that the, we are almost being dissected by the Word of God. That when we read it, and when we meditate on it, and when we delight in it, that the Word of God <clears throat> is able to cut us open. It's able to peel back the layers of our life. And it's able to reveal to us our true motives, our true intentions, our true, our true heart. And that's the power in the Word of God, that, is that it does that in our life. But how does it do that? Obviously, the Holy Spirit is involved in the whole process, working in us through the Word of God. But I truly believe that the Word of God is so powerful because it shows us Jesus Christ. And not just the New Testament. Oftentimes we think, well, the New Testament is, is about Jesus. We read about Him in the Gospels. He's explained further in the Epistles. That's all about Jesus, and the Old Testament is something other. It's not about Jesus. It's about a failed system or it's about some weird other religion. But that's not true. That's not true at all. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The law, the prophets, the wisdom literature, the poetry, it's all about Him. And, and I want to do something this morning that, that I've, I've never done. Uh, I want to do an interpretive dance. No, not really. <laughs> Just playing. <laughs> not not going to do that. That's scary. <clears throat> well, what we want to do today is, is I want to show you a video clip. Uh, it's a video clip by a pastor named John, um, by uh, Tim Keller. Tim Keller, I've, I've mentioned him uh, in many of my different sermons, but he really shows us how to look at the Old Testament and the whole of the Bible to see that it is about Jesus. And so we're going to put this, uh, this video clip up here, uh, and I want you, to, want you to listen to it. What is the Bible really about? Is the Bible basically about me and what I must do? Or is it basically about Jesus and what he has done? When you read in Luke and Acts how Jesus in those 40 days uh, got his disciples together, 40 days before he ascended, after he was raised, what was he doing? Basically he was saying everything in the Old Testament is about me. He says, the reason you didn't understand what I was about was you didn't realize that everything in the prophets and the Psalms and the, the law was pointing to me. Do you believe the Bible is basically about you or basically about him? 
Is David and Goliath basically about you and how you can be like David and Goliath, or basically about him, the one who really took on the mate, the only giants that can really kill us? And so his victory is imputed to us. Who's it really about? That's the fundamental question. And when that happens, then you start to read the Bible new, you know. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, his garden, a much tougher garden, and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who though innocently slain has blood that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go into the, into the void, not knowing whither he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. While God said to Abraham, now I know you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say to God, now we know that you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Jesus is the true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, He's a truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life. Who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish, says, when I perish, I'll perish for them, to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so we could be brought in. He's the real Passover lamb. He's, he's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's not about you. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is about Jesus. I went my whole life uh, being raised by wonderful godly parents, and as I was in the church doors every time that they were open, Sunday school, uh, went to Christian universities, went to seminary. Uh, and my whole life, this was never truly made clear to me. And I think it's not out of any evil intent of people. It's just that it's just not realized. And when I came to realize that the whole of, the whole of the Bible is about Jesus... And it struck me. And it changed the way that I read the Bible. It changed the way that I interpreted the Bible. It's changed, it's changed my, my life. And this is why it's so important that we see Jesus as the theme, as the character, as, as the thrust of the whole Bible. And this is crucial. It's because Jesus is God. And Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus said, when you see me, you have seen the Father. And so when we see Jesus, we see God's glory. A few verses. Um, Hebrews chapter 4. Well, goodness, I'm all off. We're getting there. We're getting there. Definitely going the wrong way. Sorry about that. All right, I'm going to Hebrews 4, uh, uh, chapter 1. There we go. I had to get someone else to do it for me. Uh, let's go to this verse. He, Jesus, is the radiance of God, of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether 
thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 and 14. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing uh, was made uh, that he has not made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why is all this important? Why is it so important that when we see Jesus, we see God? And when we see God, we see God's glory. I think it can be explained in a, in a passage in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 34, Moses, the giver of the law, was up on the mountain with God, receiving the commands of God, receiving the Ten Commandments. And after he conversed with God, he came down from the mountain. And there was something different about Moses. His face radiated with the glory of God. Just from being near God, just from hearing the voice of God, just from, from that closeness, his face literally shone with the glory of God. And in Exodus chapter 34, the Bible tells us that the people were afraid to look upon Moses' face. They were afraid to go near him. They didn't want to see him. They didn't want to look at him. It was so awkward and so difficult that Moses eventually had to hang a veil over his face so that people could not see the radiating glory of God on him. Why is it that people were so afraid to see Moses' face? Why is it so difficult to, to, to look upon the glory of God? We are told in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, because when we look upon the glory of God, it is like a double-edged sword, cutting and piercing into the depths of our heart, revealing our true motives and true intentions. And so whenever the people looked upon Moses' face and saw the glory of God, they saw who they were in contrast, and their sin was brought fully before their eyes. And the contrast that existed was so great that they wanted to pull away. Because you cannot be in the presence of God. You cannot see His glory and be unchanged. When you see the glory of God, you are radically altered and radically changed. So that's why they had to hide His face. That's what happens when you see the glory of God. And if the Bible shows us Jesus throughout all the Bible, and if Jesus is the glory of God, what that tells me is when we go to Scripture and we read it and we meditate on it, we will be changed because we're in the presence and we can see God Almighty. I think uh, we need to look at what that means. So what does it mean when you sit down with your Bible and you see Jesus, you see the gospel, you see the glory of God. I think, that, I think that there are three different and distinct ways that we handle that. I think the first way that we handle that is that we harden our hearts. We harden our hearts. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 says, Therefore let us strive, or let us be diligent, to enter that rest, enter heaven, enter God's kingdom, um, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What is he talking about in verse 11? To kind of get the greater context, let's go back to uh, chapter 3 of Hebrews, verse 19. Uh, we're going to see what type of disobedience that these people are in so that they can't enter God's rest. Hebrews 3, 19. So we see that they were unable to enter, enter God's rest, enter God's kingdom, enter God's promised land because of unbelief. So the sin 
that keeps you out of heaven. The sin that keeps you out of God's joy. The, the sin that keeps you out of God's peace. The sin that keeps you in all of your sins is the sin of unbelief. Of not believing in God. That's why when the gospel is preached all around the world, that so many people turn their backs to it. Because they are committing the sin of unbelief. This passage also tells us how we get to that sin of unbelief. Let's go back, uh, chapter 3, let's go back to verse 12. So we're, we're making our way backwards. It's upside down sermon, you got the application at the first, now explanation. Uh, we're going through this passage backwards. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Once again, unbelief. Leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened. Listen to this. So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How do we get to the place where we harden our hearts? How do we make the ultimate sin of unbelief? We get to a hardened heart. We get to unbelief because we fall prey to the deceitfulness of our own sin. Every time you sin, every time I sin, every time we sin, we are falling prey to the deceitfulness of sin. We say, you know what? I will only be happy if I can have this one thing. We say, I'm in this relationship and I want this relationship to work and the only way I can make this relationship work is if I compromise my standards and my beliefs and, and, and I dress in a, in a more seductive way or I commit this sin that I know is wrong but this relationship is so important to me and I'll only be happy if I have it and so we fall to the deceitfulness of sin we make compromises in our integrity because we can only be happy if we have this one thing and that's the lie that sin tells in our hearts it tells us that true happiness is not found in God, but true happiness is found at this other place. And if you, if you sin, you can get there. That's the deceitfulness that we all fall prey to. We see the example of, of the Israelites uh, whenever they are free from Egypt. They were in Egypt for 400 years as slaves. Moses delivers them through the power of God. God's glory is revealed through his miracles of the ten plagues and the Red Sea parting. And they go through and they go into the desert. And after seeing all the glory of God, the first thing they start to do is they just start to complain and grumble. They don't trust God. God is not going to provide food for us. God is not going to provide water for us. God just brought us out in this desert so we can die, so that we'll be a laughingstock. Even though they saw the glory of God, even though they saw his power, they did not put their trust in him. They did not put their faith in him. They did not believe in him. But their hearts were hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. They said the only way that we can be happy is if we live in a land of plenty. And we just left that land of plenty. In Egypt, we always had food on our tables. In Egypt, there was all these conveniences. And that's what's going to make us happy. And because of the deceitfulness of sin, they hardened their hearts. And those people died in the desert, never entering into God's rest. I think this passage is a warning for many of us. And this passage is telling us that we need not to hold on to our sins more tightly than that of Jesus. Your sin is not more important to Christ or more important than Christ. Whenever you hold on to your sin and you, or you refuse to repent of it, what you're doing is you are holding on to your sin and you're believing in your sin more than you are believing in Christ. And we have to let that go. And so that's one of the ways that we approach Scripture. We see the glory of God and we say, you know what, I'm going to hold on to my sin tighter than I'm going to hold on to Christ. I don't want that God thing. And that path leads to destruction. The second way 
that we can approach Scripture when we see the glory of God through Christ in it. And that is that we try to fix ourselves. We try to fix ourselves. We read the command in the New Testament and the Old Testament and say, all right, I'm sinning here. I'm a believer. I, I claim Jesus. I go to church. I teach a Sunday school. I do whatever. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop sinning. I'm not going to do this thing anymore. And so I'm going to lay out for myself this carefully laid plan of how can I avoid the sin and, and not do the sin. And by our own strength, what we try to do is we try to fix ourselves. But once again, when we do this, when we approach the Bible in this way, we are once again falling susceptible to that deceitfulness of sin. This type of attitude of fixing yourself, of making yourself a better person, is sinful. Because the Bible teaches us that we cannot fix ourselves. We cannot make ourselves righteous. We cannot make ourselves holy. It says that there is a law that God has given, and we have all fallen short of it. So you can't fix yourself by trying to keep the rules and keep the commands in the Bible. I think a great, illust a great illustration of this is in a Genesis chapter 14, when Abraham goes to rescue Lot. Lot was captured... Uh, along with the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and a few other cities. And Abraham takes his household, which is a very large household, if you can do this, uh, and he goes and defeats these four kings. He rescues Lot, he rescues the people of Sodom, and he rescues all the riches that were taken out of those cities. And he brings them back home. And when he gets back home, the king of Sodom comes up to Abraham and says, Abraham, you know what? You've done me a great favor. You've done what I couldn't do. So why don't you just give me back my people and you can have all the riches. All the plunder that they took out of my city, you can have it. You'll be rich. And Abraham responded, I don't want your people and I don't want your riches. Because I never want you to be able to say that I made Abraham rich. Abraham realized that his blessings, that his salvation, that his riches all came from God. And that he wouldn't have any of it if it weren't for God. Whenever we go to the Bible and we try to fix ourselves, and we say, I am going to be righteous and here's my plan for my own personal righteousness. This is how I'm going to better myself. What we are doing is works of self-righteousness. We are going in the same route as the king of Sodom, where we can say, I have made myself righteous, and this is the steps that I took to make myself righteous. I beat my body, and I was self-disciplined, and I got rid of this sin in my life. But that's a sin of unbelief. You can't defeat the sin in your life. Even after you're a believer, we're saved by grace, and we continue our life in grace. So what's the answer? One way we look at the glory of God in Scripture is we harden our hearts. One way we look at Scripture is we see the commands and we say, I am going to fix myself. I think there's a third way that we can go to Scripture. And I think it's the way that we ought to approach it. When we go to Scripture, we can look at the glory of God through Christ. And we keep our eyes firmly affixed on Christ. And as our eyes are firmly affixed on Christ, the Word of God, through the glory of God, does its work in us. And we are convicted of our sins. We are cut to the quick. Our heart is laid bare. Our intentions, our thoughts are all brought before our eyes as we look at the glory of Christ. And we don't leave that, we don't try and go fix ourselves, but we keep looking at the glory of Christ to the point where it takes us down on our knees and we lift up our voices in repentance to God and say, God, I am a poor and wretched sinner and I need you in my life to fix me because I see my own fallenness and I know I cannot fix myself. 
It's what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. You realize your poverty and helplessness in your own estate, and you have to go to God to fix it. It's his glory. It's his power sanctifying you in your life. And I think as we continue looking at the glory of God, looking at Christ, seeing our own sinfulness, we get to a point where we see our old self. In, our, in, in the book of Ephesians, it talks about our old self as our clothing. And we look at our sins, we look at our depravity, we look at how evil our hearts are, and we are looking at how great the glory of God is, and we are moved to a point where it's like, I don't want these anymore. These disgust me. And the only thing that will bring me joy and happiness in this life is the glory of God. That's what brings peace. That's what brings happiness. That's what brings joy. That what, that's, that's what I want. And so we rip off all the old. We rip off the sinfulness. And we put on the new. Not because we had the power to do it in ourselves. Not because we fixed ourselves. But because by looking at the word of God. And seeing the glory of God. It births belief in us. And when we have belief and when we have faith in us, it's at that point that God does his work. That's why Paul said in Galatians that the righteous shall live by faith. That's why it says in Galatians that I have been crucified with Christ. I'm looking at him crucified. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Christian life is about faith and belief, and that's how we live. Not by our own good merit, not by our own good works. Those come as a result of God's work in us. I was talking about this with my small group uh, just the other day, uh, and we were just kind of batting around some ideas and talking about it. Uh, I love my small group. They, they keep me on my toes. Um, and we were talking about the different examples of how we see this, how the glory of God works in our everyday lives. Because the temptation is to say, oh, great, I don't have to do anything. I can just kick back on the couch and watch TV and God's going to transform me like that, right? <laughs> Belief isn't easy. Faith isn't easy. And I knew I was in trouble whenever my wife uh, started talking. Uh, I knew I was going to be on thin ice really quick. And she said, well, Stephen, how does this play out in our lives? Like, say tomorrow, I'm home with our daughter. Say I'm home with Abby, 15 months old, running, walking, jabbering, yelling, into everything. And say I start to lose my patience with her. How does this work in that situation? Now, guys, um, advice. Advice time. <laughs> if your wife stays home with your kiddos, uh, we don't have the right to preach to them. <laughs> I don't care what you do. Their job is probably harder. Uh, their job is more taxing. We get, to, we get to leave work, and we get to leave it at the office, or leave it in the field, or wherever it is, and we get to come home, we get to breeze in, hug the daughter, hug the wife, and, ah, life is great. I'm off of work. They're still working. Um, that baby wakes up in the middle of the night, and they're still working. So we have to be careful. We're on thin ice when we, when we start going there. Uh, but she went there. And she, and she took me there. <laughs> Left me no choice. So this is what we talked about. Say she's home with our daughter. And our daughter starts screaming. My wife's in the Word, and when she starts having this impatience well up within her, and she stops, and she realizes, I'm losing my patience. That's a sin. The Word of God is doing its work in her already. And it's presenting her with an option. The option of, I can lose my patience and I can lock Abby in a closet and go do what I want to do. <laughs> she doesn't do that. Or the other option is she can look to the glory of Christ. She can look to the glory of God. And when we look at the glory of God, 
she can realize and we can realize that when Christ died on the cross, He died for that impatience. And that impatience died with Christ. And Christ, at the same time, has imputed and has given her patience. And we just keep our eyes on Christ. The great psalm, Psalm 119, that's about the law, says, how can a young man keep his way pure? It's not by working harder. It's not by a plan strategy. But how does a young man keep his way pure? By meditating on the Word. By delighting in the Word. By hiding that Word in our heart that we might not sin against God. And it's at that time of decision, when you're faced with your sin, that you can once again fall on your knees and say, God, help me. Help me overcome my sin because I cannot overcome it on my own. You have died for this and set me free from it. Let me live in that freedom. And that's the answer. And we never, ever take our eyes off of Him who has set us free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You for Your Word. And Father, I know it's hard for a people who like to fix things and like to be active and like to do it's hard for us to, to sit back and say you know what I can't do it but only you can but Father Father we pray the prayer of the man who is seeking healing in the New Testament when your son said do you believe and his cry was yes I believe Lord but help my unbelief my, Father my, my prayer for for us is that as we read the scripture, that we keep our eyes on your son and that you would birth faith, that you would birth belief in our hearts so that we can trust in you and be healed. Just as all those people were healed at the New Testament under the ministry of your son. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right. You're dismissed. Uh, shake the hand of someone on your way out.